Well, we've been making our way through Genesis. Genesis 6, by way of recap, um, last week uh, we just did 1 through 12, uh, verses 1 through 4. We talked about the sons of God and the giants, the, the demons that left their place and the resulting offspring. Um, and again, that's all something you can research on your own. There's differing opinions and all that. But uh, we dealt with just what Scripture had to say. Then, uh, but he said his spirit, in verse 3, would not always strive with man forever. And he gave him 120 days. Or, I'm sorry, 120 years. Um, and the word strive there, remember we looked at that, it's plead and, with, and contend with, struggle with, but to quarrel with. God's Holy Spirit wouldn't be quarreling with man forever. And the wickedness of man was great on the earth. In verse 5, it said the intent of the hearts, or the intent of the thoughts of the hearts of men were only evil continually. What a sentence. And then verse 6 said God was very sorry and grieved in his heart that he had made man. And sorry meaning he consoled himself. Not that he had regrets or that God would be a man that he would do something that he later regretted um, what he did, but that he was just consoling himself, suffering the grief, sorry, about what man had become. And then in his heart to cause that pain, to vex and displease, grieved. Ephesians 4, we looked at that. We saw how we can grieve the Holy Spirit and the application when we follow after our flesh. And hold on to bitterness. And Ephesians 4 talks about bitterness and anger towards one another. And how that grieves the Holy Spirit even now. Um, when we follow after our flesh. Jesus said hatred is murder in your heart. So that violence that was prevailing on the earth in the time of Noah. We don't think of it. But you know what? Hatred is murder. And it does violence. And... Um, that's what Jesus said. If, if you have hatred, that's murder in your heart. So not to have violence toward your brother. In verses 8 through 12, Noah found grace, favor in the eyes of the Lord. And we've, everything we learned about Noah, you make your list, and there will be more to add to that as studies go on in the next week or so. Uh, but he was just a just man. In other words, he did what was right, simply enough. He says it was, he was perfect in his generation. And that word perfect meaning mature, complete, and whole. Not necessarily completely without blemish and not without fault. He was just a man like any of us. But he was found that he, had, he was mature, he was complete, and he was doing what was right. And so he also says about him in the first 12 verses of chapter 6 that he walked with God in the same way Enoch walked with God. And also like we walk before the Lord and even if it doesn't feel like he's there, you know, he is. And we live and we act and we do what's right because we know that. Whether we see him and because we don't, it's by faith. We can pray anytime, we can get into his word and we can hear from him at any time. And because we know that he is always with us, we walk with God. And even Noah and Enoch walk with God. And they're a picture, just like us, and we'll get into that. They were taken out. They were lifted up above. So getting on to our study tonight, picking it up in Genesis 6.13. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, and we'll come back. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, 
For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourselves an ark of gopher wood, and make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, cubits, and its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. And you shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to the cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side, and you shall make it lower, a section, uh, you shall make it with a lower section and uh, second and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing the flood waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, which is, in, which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you, that they shall be, and they shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing on the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take from yourself of all the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to the, all that the Lord God had commanded him, so he did. The end has come before me, the Lord says. There comes a point of no return. When the end comes before the Lord, when God sees the fullness of their wickedness, the violence, every thought of their hearts continually evil, all flesh on earth had corrupted its way. And so God says he will destroy them with the earth. In 14 through 16, talking about the ark, um, there's a whole lot, again, with answers in Genesis. If you want to look up just questions on it, you can type in, um, is Noah's ark on Mount Ararat? Or, and, or any of those, just type in Noah's ark and go to answers in Genesis. And you'll get a lot of details there of all that they know. And it's actually an interesting argument. Um, they don't believe, and I guess I kind of tend to agree with them, First of all, it wasn't Mount Ararat, Ararat, it was the mountains, it was a range. And also, uh, it said when it settled, you know, it could have been off on a different mountain and all. And so, whether or not that uh, we, they found the ark, it's very, very unlikely. Um, but there are those that say they have, and they got pictures, and they'll charge you money to look at them. So... Um, there's plenty of that out there. Nevertheless, the testimony is true. You know, that's not going to be the thing that, that changes anybody's opinion if they find the ark any more than, than uh, it's going to have to be the Holy Spirit. It's going to have to be, um, you know, faith in that which they cannot see. But it says they, it was made out of gopher wood, and the actual kind is unknown. But often on a job site, and I've been on a lot of job sites working construction and being in the trades, and uh, you'll hear Noah telling his boys, go for some more wood. So they called it gopher wood. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, and, and you know, that word only appears once in the Bible. And so that joke will only appear once for the rest of this study. <laughs> so, so the Hebrew word, again, only appears once. It had rooms. It was covered with pitch inside and out. It was 30 uh, cubits. Um, by long by 50 wide 30 high which works out for us to be about 500 feet 
by 80 feet wide by 50 feet high and common thing is a football field if you will and if you take that plus again because you know there's 300 feet and there 100 yards 300 feet so add another two 200 feet to that and it's about 100 feet wide by 53 high 53 feet high so um, a football field and a half and twice as wide um, a window just one with all those animals I found that interesting it could have been open on top and covered, so there was more than that. But um, he was commanded to put one window and then just a foot and a half from the top. So you think about it, he probably wasn't able to see a lot of what was going on out there. And, you know, in a way that might have been a blessing because what you could probably see was not pretty uh, when there's a lot of people uh, losing their lives. Uh, but he was able to open it, and um, later we'll see. Uh, so a foot and a half down from the top. They set a door in it, and then again, three decks. Now, if you take the 50 feet or 53 feet, three decks would probably be about 16 feet apiece, or maybe it was two 12s and then one really tall one. You know, different heights of animals and things, the birds flying all around inside. But it says he took all that he needed from the food that he had access to, all that they would eat. And we'll see how long that they were in there uh, when we kind of break it down. Um, Enough room for everything in verses 19 through 21. Every living creature that God had commanded Noah to bring on board along with all the food. Verses 17 and 18, though, it says God will bring the flood, but God promised Noah to keep him alive and all life in the ark. And as a guarantee, he starts talking about a covenant. And he begins to mention the covenant here, and he'll pick that up in chapter 8 and 9 and, and establish that covenant and with Noah. And in verse 22, but then it says, Noah obeyed the Lord. Noah did, all according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. He's obedient. And, you know, I think a lot of times these days, we, obedience is lost. We live in America. We're, we're autonomous. We have sovereignty as far as... Now, maybe not as much as we had, maybe not as much as we're, um, or maybe it'll be a lot less. I don't know the way things are going, but we're so used to just doing what we want. And, and uh, in a lot of countries, in a lot of societies, there's caste systems or there's slaves or there's other things going on around the world. But, you know, we're kind of, obedience is kind of interesting, especially the way parents have been raising their kids for the last 60, 80 years. You know, there's a certain thing that, uh, that takes place when you learn obedience and it's blessed. And then you see the fruit from it. You know, the children who honor their father and their mother and they live long on the earth. It's a promise. And, but Noah was obedient. Back in 6 verses 8 and 9, it says, Noah found grace, favor in the eyes of the Lord. He was just a man, or a just man, I should say. Perfect in his generations, walked with God. Now in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 7, we can add to that list of things that we know about Noah. Let's read, um, I'm going to read a long stretch here, all the way down to chapter 8, 19. And um, just so we hear the whole story in one read, and then we'll come back. So then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall make 
You shall take with you seven, each of every clean animal, male and a female, two each of animals that are unclean, male and female, also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights. And I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord God commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. And so Noah with his sons and wife and his sons' wives went into the ark because the waters of the flood of clean animals and animals that are unclean and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two they went into the ark to, uh, to Noah male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the water of the flood were on the earth. And the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month and the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day Noah and Noah's sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth And Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They entered every beast of of its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh in which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now the flood was on the earth forty days, the waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth, and the waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole of heaven were covered. The waters prevailed fifteen cubits upward, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh died that moved on the earth." birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all whose, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on the land, dry, uh, dry land had died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both of man and cattle, creeping thing, bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth and only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. I wonder if I shouldn't stop there. I, I really can't. I've got to finish it up, and then we'll come back. So then God remembered Noah and every living thing and the animals that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the, the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped. And the rain from heaven was restrained, and the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters decreased. The the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. And in the tenth month, and on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out for himself, from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. 
But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned to the ark to him, for the waters on the face of the whole earth. So he put, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. And when the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. And so he waited yet another seven days, sent out the dove, which did not return again to him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth was dried. And God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, and every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Obedience. Add to the list of everything you know about Noah, and you have to add obedience. He is righteous before God, we saw in Hebrews 11, because he spent the last 120 years in obedience, building this ark as he was commanded. The word righteous means just or correct or simply doing the right thing. We talked about that last week. Obedience, if you want to turn to Psalm 32, um, just 11 verses. There's such an interesting wisdom. You know, we, it's, it's hard because we're, we're, we're self-governing individuals unless we surrender ourselves to the Lord and let him govern us. And that every single morning, Bible says, wake up, take up your cross daily. Well, what's a cross? Well, the cross was the crucible. That's the thing you die on. And so when you pick up the cross every day, it's because you need to. We wake up in the morning pretty much in the flesh wanting to do what we want to do. And it's only a matter of time we realize that's going to lead us into trouble. And then we start to uh, realize we do need to pick up our cross. But Psalm 32 Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old though uh, through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. You shall instruct or I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, 
else they will not come near you. What an interesting verse. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Do not be like the horse or the mule that you have to put a bridle in their mouth to get them to go where you want. A willing, obedient uh, servant of the Lord is, you know, he loves us. He died for us. We see that. We know that. The motive that we have for what we do is his love. We love him because he first loved us. But, you know, so many different seasons of my life, myself included, he had to put a bridle in my mouth to get me to start going where I should go. And it's foolishness. And Psalm 32, you know, better to obey the Lord like Noah was obedient than to have a bridle put in your, your, uh, your, a bit in your mouth that pulls, has to pull you around to go. I love that verse. Just a couple pages back, uh, just one page back is Psalm 29, just 11 verses. I'll give you, I'll give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength, give unto the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, the glory of, uh, uh, the God of glory thunders, the Lord is over many waters, the voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is full of majesty, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a, a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple everyone says glory. And the Lord sat enthroned at the flood. And the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people and will bless his people in peace. It was the Lord that gave his strength to Noah. And he also gives us the strength that we need. Such a rich psalm. But the Lord sat enthroned at the flood. He was in charge of all that was going on at that time. The word generation for Noah, he was, he was perfect in his generation. The word generation is during that period of time. And so it's a period of time. It's among those people around him in a place where he lived. The example for us to do the right thing in our period of time among all those people around us in the place that we live. It took 120 years to build the ark, and all those that passed passed by refused to believe Noah. Second um, Peter two five we read last week says he was a preacher of righteousness, and by his faithfulness he condemned the wicked. And we talked about that. You know, um, he was faithful, and as such, the Lord was able to send that flood. And um, Hebrews eleven includes Noah with those that endured mockers and scoffers. And we read that again last week too, but Noah and his family worked again 120 years among these wicked and the earth was filled with violence. So among these violent, this violent humanity, they were surely mocked by many who passed by and likely, likely threatened. I mean, if this is a violent, violent earth filled with it and the thoughts of the hearts of men are continuously evil, certainly Noah was mocked and threatened. 
And um, they sat there and they watched him build that ark. Um, 120 years, God was patient and offered humanity a testimony of the judgment that was to come. And they watched and he built it. The only escape for them, the only way out, not one soul believed Noah. Out of millions and billions of people, possibly billions, all flesh was corrupt. And then it started to rain. Water began to puddle. Tig twigs began to float and sticks and branches and logs started to float by. Water was rising to their ankles, rose to their waists, rose to their necks, and it was too late. It's over. Matthew 24, it's a very sobering thought, and it should be, because we're not far away. We're not far at all away from the Lord taking us to be with him. You see everything going on in the world that fits prophecy so well. We are not far away. It should be sobering. But Matthew 24, just 36 through 39, concerning when the Lord comes for us, it says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. They did not know until it was too late. And if you look at verse 43, it says, But know this, well, we are to know. They did not know. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would have watched and would not allow his house to be broken into. We do know. We do know the Lord is coming soon and we see the things taking place, then watch. And that's what we do. We watch, and we also obey. We seek to, to have a, an, an effect on those, even though there's mocking us. Second Peter 3, we talked about as well a little bit of this last week, but it fits, again, Second Peter 3, just 10 verses, uh, verses 3 through 13. Just like Noah, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all these things come as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly, willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world then existed, perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering towards us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with the fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be? In holy conduct and godliness, 
looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen to that. You know, um, there's a day, just like in Noah's day, when that last person for us turns to Jesus Christ. Well, then he's going to take us out. He's going to take the church up to heaven. If you want to see that passage, let's just go back the other way um, to Thessalonians. Um, the rapture is spoken about in First Thessalonians 4. If you want to take notes, and this is something you want to be able to show people and share with people. It's different now. It's the same in the way it's going to come and the way the earth is going to be. But now there are many who are hearing the preaching of the gospel and they're coming to the Lord. What if the Lord came 50 years ago? How many of us got saved in the last 50 years? You know, where would we be? And uh, so he is patient. He is long-suffering and wills that none would perish. So on that hand, on the other side of the coin, we don't know when he's coming. It may be a while. Things could even get worse than they are now. And, uh, you know, so we, we want to keep that in mind that, that we still share the gospel. So First Thessalonians 4, um, 13 through 18 um, says, um, here we are, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Well, what's he saying? You know, when the Lord comes back again, those that are already dead will meet us and be with us when he comes for us. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be with the Lord, uh, always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And it is such a comfort because, you know, he's coming for us. And at that time, we meet him in the air but then we'll always be with him. We're not looking for purgatory. We're not looking for uh, some type of a uh, judgment that has to come upon us first before we can, some kind of uh, correction that needs to happen first before the Lord comes. When he comes, we're there. We're there with him. And therefore, it's a comfort to us. But notice this. It says, he, we shall be caught up together. And the word caught up in the Greek is rapture. So when they tell you the rapture is not in the Bible, well, it's in the Greek. So um, they don't have any problem with that over in Greece. Um, so then begins the prophetic clock. For seven years, God will deal with Israel as he promised them in Daniel, and he promised them, in, and he talks about in the book of Revelation in detail, Israel that is in the land today, and that we know from Romans 9, 10, and 11, because blindness has blinded them in part. It's a heathen nation over there. Tel Aviv is one of the worst Moral, morally worst cities in the world um, and all. They're, they're not there in belief. But some of them are looking for the Messiah. 
And um, they don't necessarily believe it's Jesus. They, if you talk to those guys, I think, I can't remember some of the quotes, but one of the generals, I think, because he's in charge of all the, what could take place with earthquakes and things like this, if somebody shows up on the Mount, you know, Mount of Olives in, in uh, Jerusalem, he'll first go up to him and say, can I see your hands? So he can see if there's piercings in his hands or not, if there are nail prints in his hands. So they don't necessarily believe unto salvation. They're gathered in unbelief, as the Bible says. And it says blindness, and then the key word is until. Until the rest of us, until the gent the fullness of the Gentiles comes in and then all will be saved and he will draw Israel and deal with them once again. God is faithful. How do, how do I know any of this? Well, nothing that was prophesied is going to go unfulfilled and you can't take those Old Testament prophecies about Israel and, and to David and his throne and apply all those to the church and, and with regards to prophecy, with regards to the land. It can only mean the... Uh, the Jews being regathered into the land. Ezekiel 36, bone, the hip bone connected to the leg bone. Boy, I'm terrible at anatomy, so I don't know. But that's the song. It comes from all of that. Uh, in Ezekiel 36, and then in 37, brings the two branches. No more Israel and Judah. Now it's one nation, Israel. And 38 and 39 is so close right now. Russia is brokering the Iran nuclear deal. That's ridiculous. And we have a sleepy guy that's not doing anything about it in our country that used to be the country that would stand up. And the Jews that are, or the, the Israelis that are, are uh, talking about it in their government over there are saying plainly that this would never have happened four years ago. And here we are in this situation. Well, God's not surprised. God's not worried. These things are coming to pass. And I was new in order for this prophecy to be fulfilled, America, being the biggest ally of Israel, would eventually have to either be weakened or, or something would have to happen so that now prophecy can take place and be fulfilled. Um, I think Dwight shared it on Sunday. There's, a, there's a, some that believe that there's a rather large uh, amount of wealth, Solomon's wealth, that may be found and discovered. And if that's the case... Um, the amount being, you know, bigger, more zeros than I can put a name to, that would change the landscape of, of the value of the ruble, of, of what Iran could possibly do. And when it talks about Russia being drawn into, into the land to take a spoil, you know, that fits. And it's, it's the days we're living in right now. Um, God is faithful. Nothing that was prophesied will go unfulfilled. Um, like Noah, you and I are preachers of righteousness by our godly life, by sharing the gospel among this very wicked and perverse generation. At this time, Jesus said they would not, they would uh, know, I'm sorry, at this time, Jesus said that they would know who we are or who truly know him by our love for one another and our love for them, and how we endure when we're mocked and we're scoffed at, and whether we turn the other cheek when we're persecuted for his name's sake. Um, Hebrews 10.36, be worth looking at. It's to the end there, 39. It's, uh, for you 
have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Because he says, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. The clock is ticking. There comes a point of no return, just like it was with Noah. The end of all flesh will come in our not-too-distant future before God. When they no longer respond to your testimony, when they no longer respond to the gospel, they no longer respond to the preaching of God's righteousness, they don't respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, drawing them, striving with them, struggling with them, pleading with them, quarreling as he did with the men before the flood. But until then, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. You know, the Jesus of the Bible who died for our sins, not the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormons or any of the misrepresentations of our Lord Jesus. He died for our sins, he rose from the dead, and was seen by many who ascended to the Father, that Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, who was with the Father from all eternity, came to the earth in human flesh and became a man to take our sins and die in our place so that we are now justified, pure, righteous, and can dwell with the holy God for all eternity. Verse 16, back in Genesis, chapter 7, it was the Lord that shut them in. All those that entered, male and female, of all flesh went in as God had commanded him. And it was the Lord that shut him in. You know, like Noah, it's the Lord God that seals us as well and protects us. And when we enter into him, like they entered into the, to the ark, it's the Lord who saves us. Like Enoch, he takes us to be with him before the judgment. Like Noah, he takes us out of his wrath. He, doesn't, he lifts us above that, that wrath. Um, there is a neat passage I want to go to here. It's Isaiah 26. And we'll just take a few verses, but 1 through 21. You know, we need to understand the nature of our God because He's a loving God. You know, you don't punish your children when, you're, when you are judging the wickedness and the evil of humanity. If your children have put their trust in you, you don't pour out your wrath on them. It's a song of salvation in, in uh, Isaiah 26. The first four verses in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city, and God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. And you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. That's, a, that's one for the refrigerator, that's one to circle. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. And then over in verse 19, or I should say verse 12, Lord, you will establish peace for us. You have also done all our works in us. He gets the glory. He gets the honor. That's throughout Scripture. In verse 19, your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall arise. What an amazing prophecy. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. 
for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers. Shut the doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will also disclose, disclose her blood and no, will no more cover her slain. Remember when Cain slew Abel? The Lord said, his, his blood cries out to me from the earth. In all the violence of that day, come and enter into your chambers until the indignation is past. The Lord takes us out. He took Noah out and uh, lifted him up. First Thessalonians 5, 9 says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Also know that it's God's wrath, not our wrath. Uh, chapter 6, verse 17 back there says, he's, He says, I myself am bringing the waters to destroy. It's God who can bring judge, judgment and justice for the sins of man. It's not up to us to execute judgment. It's up to us to warn people. There is a heaven. There is a hell. Everybody lives forever in one of two places. We bring the message of salvation. And if they think they don't need a Savior, then we ask them, you know, do you think you're a good person? And if they say, well, yeah, I'm a good person, well, then you ask, you know, by God's standard, he has the Ten Commandments. Um, Do you think you can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly? And if they... You know, or do you fall short like the rest of us? And we remind them, like Peter says, there was a flood and the earth was judged because Peter says they willfully ignore. They're, they're willfully ignorant of that judgment. You know, and you've got to wonder why. But we remind them there was a flood. And there's plenty of evidence for that if they're willing to look, but they know. I think God has placed it on every human heart that there is conviction, that his law is written on their hearts, that they know, even by nature, the things that are created, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, that they know um, that, uh, that he is God and that they fall short. In Genesis 7.11, it says the fountains, springs, the great deep, is the abyss of the sea, the deep depths of the oceans. Broken is like split, cracked open or burst open. The fountains of the great deep broke open. The windows of heaven are like the channels, if you will, like a lattice or what they call a sluice, a sluice gate. In other words, you crank the valve and it just starts bursting forth. The, The windows of heaven opened up um, I, I'll probably just read it for you, but um, Psalm 104, verse 6 says, you covered, it, um, you covered it with the deep as with a garment, and the waters stood above the mountains, as he's talking about when the Lord caused the flood. The waters covered the, the highest mountains, and again, you'll, you'll hear about those that say it was just a little localized flood. And, uh, well, then why didn't Noah just God tell him to go truck over there where it's a little higher ground and you don't have to worry about it? Well, he didn't because it was the entire earth 
all flesh had corrupted itself on the earth. So in kind of wrapping up, there's the timeline. 7-11, Noah, 600th year. If you wanted to look at the, uh, the slide, I think we got a slide we can put up, and there's copies of it in the back if you want to take it with you. Um, shows the chronology of the flood, because it's amazing. I never realized. Um, I think I knew once, but I kind of forgot when I was studying this. And um, It was Noah's 600th year, the second month, 17th day. In verse 12, it rained for 40 days. In verse 24, waters prevailed for 150 days. In chapter 8, verse 1, God remembered Noah, and the waters subsided, and the fountain stopped, and the rain stopped. After 150 days more, the waters receded. Verse 4, the ark rested the seventh month, 17th day. Verse 5, the waters decreased the 10th month. Verse 5, the mountain's peaks were visible 10th month and first day. Verse 6 and 7, Noah opened the window, sent a raven and a dove 40 days. Uh, after 40 days. Verse 10, a second dove returned with an olive sprig. Uh, the day, day dove returned without one, and then after seven days, he did return with a olive sprig. And verse 12, the third dove did not return after seven days. In verse 13, Noah, now 601st year, first month, first day. And in verse 14, everything was dried up. The second month, the 27th day, from the time that Noah entered the ark until the time they left the ark was 371 days, over a year. What did Peter say? They all willfully forget, or they're willingly ignorant. In other words, it's intended on their part. It's on purpose to ignore and forget about the flood. Why? It says, because it, if it's true, well then God is going to judge sin. God does judge sin. And they don't want to stop walking according to their flesh, according to First Peter or Second Peter. Um, you know, they're willfully ignorant that Jesus will return, and there is judgment, perdition, eternal fire for the ungodly. They intend to forget. They willfully turn away and are ignorant. For those then whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. And for those that reject the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ on the cross, there is an eternity, you know, without Christ. It's very sobering and in light of the fact that we, we just read through all of humanity perishing, millions if not billions of people, and only eight people being lifted up out because of the wickedness and the evil and the violence that was on the earth. God was sorry that he made man in the way that he was sorrowful and affected by it. And um, in the way that it, and it says in his heart, he was grieved in his heart. And so he would be. But he's offered Jesus Christ to the world. And that's our, our only job, is to share his love with the world. And again, they'll know that we know him by our love for one another and our love for them. Not that we're calling down fire and brimstone, we're just telling what the Bible says. There is a lake of fire. There is a hell. But there's also a heaven. Now, I used, a, I had a couple of booklets I wanted to show you. Um, you know, it's a heavy thing. Some of the studies that uh, 
Um, I get this from her from David Hawking. I don't know if they got a, a slide for that. Maybe, maybe not. I don't, <laughs> I don't have, there they are. Three of these are great pamphlets to have. They're just real thin, maybe 15, 20 pages. And you can go to, to uh, is it davidhawking.org or Hope for Today Ministries? Um, and uh, you can order those. We might have them in the bookstore. One of the other books I've been using, Charts, and you guys might be interested. It's by Tommy Ice. And the other guy, I can't remember his name. We've had Tommy Ice up here at our conferences called Charting the Bible chrono- Chronologically. And the more we keep going through the Old Testament, the more we'll use that because it's great. I enjoy getting my head around the um, timeline of how things took place. So that is all that I have for tonight. Why don't we pray? Lord, we are sobered by all of this. And we know that the world is perishing. Lord, we know that few be there that find the path to righteousness and narrow it be, Lord. But wide is the gate that leads to destruction. But Lord, we know that you've also given us this time so that we would be bear fruit, bear fruit in being faithful to you and walking with you and letting that light shine to a world that is perishing. So, Lord, we know that that as long as we're still here, it means there's still some that need to come to know you. And so we pray that you'd give us and equip us with uh, the verses and and your word to to come to memory when we're talking to people. And just the the courage and willingness to just deal with what you put in front of our faces, Lord. We don't necessarily need to have to go chasing people down. But when you bring people into our lives and bring things across our table, Lord, that we'd be equipped to be able to tell people how much you love them and and express that to them. And Lord, we just lift all that up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.